Welcome, this is Escher Watson, and today I will be reading a book called On Becoming a Bodhisattva. In the Buddhism in Every Step series, this is book B5, written by Venerable Master Hsing Yun. Table of Contents The Bodhisattva Character Selflessness, Kindness, and Compassion. 2. The Bodhisattva Perspective Prajna and Sunyata. Numeral 3. The Bodhisattva Spirit Perseverance and Diligence. And Part 4. The Bodhisattva Practice Methodical and Eternal. On Becoming a Bodhisattva. Often, when discussing bodhisattvas, we immediately think of the clay or wooden statues that we pay our respects to in temples, or we conjure up images of paintings or sculptures we have seen of these enlightened individuals. Most people think of bodhisattvas as deities who have many supernatural powers and are mystical, beyond the range of human vision. We think of bodhisattvas as beings who have the Midas touch, are able to command the wind and rain and can bestow wealth upon us. Actually, bodhisattvas are not deities that sit above us or beyond our comprehension. The bodhisattva's presence is not distant, but right here in the midst of us. Bodhisattvas are not idols to whom we make offerings and pay respects. A true bodhisattva is to be found among us, for a true bodhisattva is someone rich in kindness and compassion and is the most earnest in liberating all sentient beings within the six realms of existence. Throughout history, there were many examples of men and women who truly lived in the spirit of Bodhisattva. For example, Master Oyi of the Ming Dynasty was one of the four renowned masters of that time and was known for his strict observance of the precept. Although he was a well-cultivated bhikkhu and a key figure in Chinese Buddhism, he did not regard himself as a bhikkhu. Instead, he called himself a bodhisattva. More recently, there is the example of Master Tai Shu, who is known for his compassion and dedication to revitalizing Chinese Buddhism. He once said of himself, A bhikkhu I am not, nor have I become a Buddha. Instead, I hope to be called a bodhisattva. From this, we can see that it is more acceptable to call someone a bodhisattva than to address someone as a bhikkhu. There is also the contemporary example of Master Xiang, who vowed that, as a testimonial to his attainment, his physical body would not perish after his passing. When he was alive, he liked to be addressed as a bodhisattva, and after his passing, his body indeed did not perish, and it is still kept at Si Chi for people to pay their respects. To honor his wish, he is called the Chihang Bodhisattva, which means he is a Bodhisattva of compassion and can ferry us across the sea of suffering. From the above examples, we can see that we can all become Bodhisattvas as long as we have the commitment to seek the Buddha way and liberate all beings. In fact, we describe anyone who has made such a commitment as a bodhisattva who has generated the bodhi mind. Among lay Buddhists, we call elder lay Buddhists senior bodhisattvas, and those who are new to the religion, bodhisattvas with new resolve. Lay Buddhists also address each other as so-and-so bodhisattva. Thus, the term bodhisattva is not limited to enlightened individuals whose statues we see in temples. In fact, we address all those who are determined to embark on the Buddha path as bodhisattvas. Master Tai Shu once said, A truly cultivated person is, in fact, a Buddha. What this means is that to reach the perfection of a Buddha, one must first start cultivation as a person. In fact, the Buddhist teachings of the human vehicle are as applicable to us as they are to bodhisattvas. With determination, any one of us can become a bodhisattva. 
Mencius once made a similar observation. As honorable as Emperor Shun was, as great as Yu was, any determined person is, too. Of course, there are many stages of Bodhisattva development. There are the ten levels of faith, the ten levels of dwelling, the ten levels of practice, the ten levels of dedicating merit, and the ten grounds. These stages constitute the first fifty of 52 stages of Bodhisattva toward Buddhahood. Following these 50 stages is the attainment of universal enlightenment. Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva and Manjushri Bodhisattva are examples of this stage. The development of a Bodhisattva is not unlike going through our educational system. Though students in elementary school, middle school, and college are all called students, they do not differ in the level of knowledge acquired. Our goal is to make a certain amount of progress in our development as a bodhisattva. But then, how do we move ourselves through the bodhisattva stages? Number 1. Roman numeral 1. The bodhisattva character. Selflessness, kindness, and compassion. The development of religious faith calls for a religious disposition. Key elements of the Buddha's development into a fully enlightened individual are his kindness and compassion for all beings. Similarly, what makes an arhat an arhat is his inclination for the peace of nirvana as he shuns worldly existence. As we are all different in character and disposition, some of us are friendly and generous while others are distant and reclusive. It is good to know what kinds of people are most inclined to become bodhisattvas. In addition to this, one should first understand what constitutes the character of a bodhisattva. These words best describe the character of a bodhisattva's selflessness as well as kindness and compassion. Selflessness works hand in hand with kindness and compassion. With the sense of selflessness comes the sensibility of kindness and compassion. And out of the spirit of kindness and compassion arises the wisdom of selflessness. Let us first understand the embedded meaning of the word bodhisattva. This is a Sanskrit word made up of two parts. The first part is bodhi, means enlightenment, while the second part, sattva, refers to any sentient being. Thus, if we analyze the term bodhisattva, it embodies enlightenment and sentience, and it means a sentient being with the mind for the truth. There are two aspects to the term enlightenment and sentience. First, it speaks of the commitment and dedication to seek enlightenment. In other words, one's own efforts in the attainment of ultimate wisdom. Thus, we also describe a bodhisattva as one who seeks the path. And second, the term enlightenment and sentience speaks of the devotion to bringing enlightenment to all sentient beings. In other words, efforts for the benefit of all. This is, the this is the manifestation of great kindness and compassion, and it explains why we also describe a bodhisattva as one who liberates sentient beings. Thus, we can see that a bodhisattva embodies, on the one hand, the arhat spirit of transcending the world and seeking the ultimate truth, and, on the other hand, the Buddha's compassion and zeal in wishing to liberate all sentient beings. Indeed, a bodhisattva is one who seeks the Buddha way and liberate all beings. An enlightening practitioner who finds fulfillment in the fulfillment of others. When we think of bodhisattvas, we inevitably think of their kindness and compassion. Like arhats, bodhisattvas strive to practice liberation. Unlike arhats, bodhisattvas are rich in their great kindness and compassion. When bodhisattvas witness our suffering, their flames of kindness and compassion are ignited, and they vow to help us free ourselves from suffering. This is in constant this is in contrast with arhats, who develop wariness for worldly existence when they see through the conflicts of the world and the suffering of rebirth. 
Arhats hence are focused on attaining liberation and entering nirvana. In Buddhist literature, we compare the Bodhisattva path to great vehicles that can ferry sentient beings across the sea of suffering, while the Arhat path are often described as small vehicles that are available for their own personal use. While the goals of Bodhisattvas and Arhats are similar, they differ in their approach. The difference lies in the compassion of Bodhisattvas, which gives Bodhisattvas their empathy towards others' pain. Kindness and compassion are, indeed, the sources of energy that provide Bodhisattvas with the strength to practice the Mayana spirit of attaining fulfillment for oneself through the fulfillment of others. What, then, are kindness and compassion? The sutras describe kindness and compassion as the foundation of the Dharma. It is out of kindness and compassion that the Buddha taught the Dharma for for more than 40 years, gave more than 40,000 Dharma talks, and left us the numerous teachings of the Triptaka. From this, we can see that the enormous significance of kindness and compassion. Kindness refers to the sharing of joy, heavenly joy, meditative joy, and the joy of nirvana. And compassion refers to the removal of pain, the indescribable pain of being born, reborn in the three suffering realms of animals, hungry ghosts, and hell. With great loving kindness, Bodhisattvas heal us of our sicknesses. With great compassion, Bodhisattvas understand our pain. This form of great kindness and compassion is markedly different from and is a, st- is a step beyond the loving and caring emotions with which we are familiar. It is much deeper in meaning and more embracing. <clears throat> the kindness and compassion that Bodhisattvas have for sentient beings can be described as a mix of the stern fatherly love and the tender motherly love that our parents have for us, always available and willing to sacrifice themselves for our welfare. The great kindness and compassion of Bodhisattvas can be compared to the warmth of the sun, available to all, without discrimination, and are limitless. They listen to all our pleas without reservation, using their prajna wisdom and the power of kindness and compassion. Bodhisattvas tailor their help to our varying situations as they guide us across the sea of suffering. The best example of a Bodhisattva is, of course, the great kind and compassion Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva, whose compassion and kindness is universally known. With great compassion, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva made the twelve great vows of helping all sentient beings cross the sea of suffering. When we call to Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva for help and guidance, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva manifests in different forms to help us regardless of where we are. Based on the situation and the need, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva has manifested as a heavenly being, as a woman, as a young boy, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva has been seen carrying a fish basket, riding a dragon, living among bamboo groves, and holding a willow tree branch. In fact, we often use the term the 32 manifestations of Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva to describe the many manifestations of Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva coming to and our aid during our times of crises. This very ability to manifest in different forms, depending on the situation, is, in fact, a direct result of the Bodhisattva's great and selfless compassion. Taking this a step further, the other side of kindness and compassion is selflessness. In the hearts and minds of Bodhisattvas, there is no self, just sentient beings. Regardless of what we need, be it money, property, or even his or her life, Bodhisattvas will willingly give us without give to us without reservation. In the Jataka Sutra, 
a sutra about the previous lives of the Buddha. There's a story about a time when the Buddha was cultivating to be a bodhisattva. In in this particular life, the Buddha was also born as a prince. One day, when he was out traveling in the woods with two of his brothers, he saw below a cliff a mother tiger that had just given birth to seven baby cubs. Because of overexertion, the mother tiger became so weak that her life was hanging in the balance. In the meantime, the baby cubs were all crying to be nursed. When the prince saw how sad the situation was, his compassion arose in him, and he decided to sacrifice his life to save the life of the mother tiger. He distracted his two brothers and jumped down to the mother tiger so that he might offer himself as a meal for her. The mother tiger was, however, so weak that she did not even have the strength to feed on him. Anxious to save the tigress, he used a sharp piece of bamboo to to sever his own throat. With the blood gushing out and discarding his own pain, the prince slowly crawled to the side of the mother tiger so that she could drink his blood. In giving up his life, he was able to save the life of the mother tiger and her cubs. In the Jataka Sutra, there's another story about another lifetime of the Buddha when he was a king. The king loved his subjects, and he was very generous to his people. He established posts throughout his land to provide relief to whoever needed it. There was even an incident when he tried to save the life of a pigeon by cutting a piece of his flesh to feed a hawk. Kindness and Compassion allowed the prince to forget his own fears and give up his own life for the sake of others. With kindness and compassion, bodhisattvas perform many selfless acts for sentient beings. Because of the rich kindness and compassion that bodhisattvas have for sentient beings, they are very forgiving of our follies and mistakes. They are so willing to make sacrifices without regard for themselves that they reach the point of selflessness. Without regrets and fears, Bodhisattvas practice their great kindness and compassion, as as in the saying, For the sake of sentient beings, I am willing to part with anything. The Lotus Sutra says, With the strength of great kindness and compassion, Bodhisattvas liberate all all suffering sentient beings. Bodhisattvas, who have gone through numerous kalpas of cultivation, have already severed severed all delusions and attained pure living. Accordingly, they could have entered the peaceful realm of nirvana, but out of compassion for sentient beings, they decided to stay within the wheel of rebirth to guide them through the sea of suffering. They show them dharma methods, turn the dharma wheel, and even pledge to be reborn in three lower realms to help the suffering beings of those realms. When Kitsitagarbha Bodhisattva saw sentient beings suffering in the karmic flames of hell, he asked himself, If I do not enter the gate of hell, who will? So he pledged, I vow not to become a Buddha until all hells are empty. This means that he, Kitsitagarbha Bodhisattva, will defer his attainment of Buddhahood as long as there is one single being suffering in hell. From the above, we can see that kindness and compassion are the underlying cause for one to become a bodhisattva. Kindness and compassion give bodhisattvas strength to help us through the sea of suffering. It is the foundation of the Mahayana spirit. Compassion germinates from the wisdom of selflessness and is incredibly powerful and strong. If we can all just have a little bit of the bodhisattva character, our world will be a much better place. Conflicts will diminish, and harmony will flourish. Part 2. The Bodhisattva Perspective Prajna and Sudyata In the section above, we discuss compassion as the distinguishing characteristic of bodhisattvas. In addition to being full of kindness and compassion, bodhisattvas are also accomplished in the area of prajna wisdom. When kindness and compassion are integrated with prajna wisdom, they will not be applied blindly without distinguishing what is right from what is wrong. This is the kindness and compassion that bodhisattvas have for us sentient beings. For example, 
If we share our generosity with one who is a compulsive gambler, we are doing him more harm than good. Thus, only when compassion is mixed with prajna wisdom would help others to do good. What we should not confuse compassion with the blind parental love that can spoil a child, or with tri- or with trifling acts of permissiveness that can encourage bad behavior. Kindness and compassion are like our two legs that make us mobile, and prajna wisdom is like our two eyes that help us tell the truth from the false. To embark upon the path of the Buddhasattva, kindness and prajna wisdom have to complement each other. What then is prajna wisdom? Prajna wisdom is the wisdom that allows us to see through worldly differences, such as the capable versus inept, physical versus mental, or self versus others. Prajna wisdom is the non-discriminating mind, where the clinging to the discriminating notion of the self and other objects is absent. In other words, prajna wisdom allows us to understand sunyata, emptiness, that self and the universe are mutually interdependent, and all sentient beings and self are one. From a worldly viewpoint, our world is full of differences, such as tall and short, poor and rich, filthy and pure, or ignorant and intelligent. From the viewpoint of prajna wisdom, however, all these differences and phenomena do not exist in an absolute sense. They are nothing but the result of varying causes and conditions. All phenomena of the universe, be it physical or mental, be it self or others, do not exist on their own, but as a result of a combination of many factors. This is the Dharma realm of oneness. In this state of mind, all differences are equal. Truth and phenomena are integrated. Bodhisattvas live in this realm of prajna wisdom. Thus, bodhisattvas do not look at sentient beings as apart from themselves. Sentient beings are their hearts and minds, and their hearts and minds are sentient beings. Our joys are sorrows. Our joys and sorrows are, in fact, their joys and sorrows. Our journeys on the wheel of rebirth are their journeys too. When we get sick, bodhisattvas also become sick. When we act in a deluded way, Bodhisattvas also feel our pain. Because of their non-discriminating minds, Bodhisattvas see sentient beings as themselves. They continually and tirelessly manifest in our world to help us become clear of our own delusions and cleansed of our own karma. In so doing, they reach the state of mind of purifying the world with great compassion, in which everything becomes possible. With the great wisdom of the non-discriminating mind, bodhisattvas attain the ultimate bodhi, enlightenment, and masterfully lead sentient beings onto the path of enlightenment. With pure and great compassion, bodhisattvas work diligently and effectively to free sentient beings from their ignorance. Great wisdom is self-benefiting, as it enables bodhisattvas to strive for the nature and the state of ultimate bodhi. Great compassion benefits others as it motivates bodhisattvas to stay within the wheel of rebirth, to help others cross the sea of suffering. To benefit oneself is to benefit others, and to benefit others is to benefit oneself. Striving for enlightenment is the same as being willing to stay within the wheel of rebirth to help others, and to stay within the wheel of rebirth to help others is the same as the strive for enlightenment. The eyes of prajna wisdom and the feet of compassion complement each other, and neither one can be lacking. Prajna wisdom and compassion are the two sides of a coin. There are two, yet there is one. There is one, yet there are two. Prajna wisdom and compassion are the core of the Bodhisattva principle. When bodhisattvas cultivate the prajna wisdom of emptiness, they give it their all, are deeply devoted, and will not hesitate to give up their lives as part of their cultivation.
In the Tripitaka of the Southern Tradition, there is a record about one of the previous lives of the Buddha during the time that Dipankara Buddha was alive in the world. Sakyamuni Buddha was then a Brahmin by the name of Sumedha. He was very kind and eager to learn about the Dharma. He often paid his respects to the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. One day, Sumedha learned that Dipankara Buddha was coming to teach in his village. He was delighted and was determined not to miss this opportunity to listen to the Dharma. He thought to himself, The road is leading to this remote village is bumpy and treacherous. How can I let the feet of a holy person like Dipankara Buddha walk on such a filthy path? With this in his mind, he took off his clothes and used them to cover the road in the Buddha had to use. He also prostrated on the ground and let his hair down for Dipankara Buddha and his many Arhat disciples to walk upon. With indescribable joy, he welcomed Buddha Dipankara. When he lifted his head and saw the majestic and august look of Buddha Dipankara, his heart was full of admiration, and he said, In heaven above and on earth below, there is no one like the Buddha, nor can a comparison be made in the words of ten directions, in the worlds of ten directions. I have seen all that this world has to offer, but there is absolutely no one like the Buddha. At that moment, he vowed to help all sentient beings cross the sea of suffering and to attain the same right effect, i.e. enlightenment, as Dipankara Buddha. It is because of his diligence and effort in learning the Dharma that Sumedha attained Buddhahood nine kalpas before Maitreya Buddhasattva. The Ashtarika Prajna Paramita Sutra, 8,000 verses of Prajna Sutra, records the touching story of Always Weeping Buddhasattva. The gist of the story is that Always Weeping Buddhasattva was often saddened by how difficult it was to meet a virtuous and knowledgeable teacher. He often worried about not being able to listen to the Dharma and thus not being able to grow in Prajna wisdom. This distress often brought tears to his eyes, which is why people referred to him as always weeping Buddhasattva, or they called him always mournful Buddhasattva. In earnest, he traveled far and wide to find the right teacher that could teach him what he did not know. Once, he learned that about 500 yoyanas to the east was a city called the City of Fragrance. There, there lived a cultivated and accomplished teacher called Dharma Muchatara Buddhasattva. Delightfully, always weeping Buddhasattva was determined to travel there to listen to the Dharma. He also decided to hire himself out as a servant so he could use the money to offer to Dharma Muchatara Buddhasattva. On the road, he kept asking passers-by if they were willing to pay him to be their servant. <clears throat> there were no takers, however, until a big burly man appeared. This burly man offered to buy one of his body parts or organs to be used as sacrifice. Always weeping Buddhasattva, determined to seek the Dharma, did not hesitate to cut off one of his arms to sell to the burly man. This story soon reached the daughter of a rich, lo rich local merchant. She was touched. She then prepared 500 carts of precious gems and followed Always Weeping to the City of Fragrance. Afterwards, when Always Weeping heard Dharma Mutatara Buddhasattva teaching, Suchness never goes and never comes. The nature of emptiness is, in fact, suchness. He instantly became enlightened. He entered into deep meditative concentration and traveled freely in the sea of Prajna wisdom. <clears throat> From the earnest shown by Sumedha and always weeping Buddhasattva in their search for the Dharma, we can see that the preciousness of Prajna wisdom and the understanding of Sunyata. The Great Perfection of Wisdom Sutra says, quote, Prajna Paramita is the mother of all Buddhasattvas and Mahasattvas. It is the source of the Dharma. End quote. <clears throat> On the path to becoming a Buddhasattva, the cultivation of Prajna, Prajna wisdom is of utmost importance. 
It can be compared to the nourishment of a mother's milk in helping an infant to grow. Likewise, it is with rich nutrients of the Dharma that the Bodhisattvas gradually grow and mature their spiritual development. As they cultivate the prajna wisdom of sunyata, they begin to lose the dullness of delusion until they finally reach the pure original state of mind of emptiness. In this state, they can truly taste the meaning of emptiness, without any notion of a self, any notion of others, any notion of sentient beings, and any notion of lifespan. When comparison, when compassion is combined with prajna wisdom, our compassion will not cling to any notion of sentient beings or phenomena. This compassion, which is void of the notion of self and others, can be described as great compassion without any conditions and great kindness as we are all one. This is why sutras often describe Prajnaparamita as the mother of the Buddhas of the past, present, and future. In all Buddha lands, there live many Buddhasattvas helping Buddhas liberate sentient beings. Some are known for their compassion, while others are known for their Prajna wisdom. Among the many Buddhasattvas, we are most familiar with those Buddhasattvas who are often portrayed flanking Buddhas. In the Saha world, Manjushri Buddhasattva and Samantabhadra Buddhasattva are known as assist are known to assist Sakyamuni Buddha. In the western pure land of ultimate bliss, Mahastampa Prapta Buddhasattva and Avalokitesvara Buddhasattva accompany Amitabha Buddha to welcome sentient beings into the pure land. The eastern pure land of pure crystal has sunlight Buddhasattva and moonlight Buddhasattva. Of these Buddhasattvas, Manjushri, Mahasthamparapapta, and Sunlight are known for their prajna wisdom. They may be depicted as riding a fierce lion traveling and teaching the Dharma, or using the light of wisdom to pierce through the darkness of delusion, or holding the sun wheel to shower us with light. Regardless of how they are portrayed, they all carry with them the sword of prajna wisdom, with which they sever all afflictions and delusions. With great wisdom, bodhisattvas see through the emptiness of the five aggregates and thoroughly understand that all phenomena is empty. As they gain insight into the truth, they live according to the truth and do not harbor any clinging or attachment. Out of compassion for sentient beings, they cannot bear to forsake us, a vow to help us cross the sea of suffering. In, o- in order to live up to their vows, they often manifest themselves in our world and travel within the three realms to try to reach us. Even though they know that all phenomena are empty, there is no such thing as a self that can be liberated. And there are no sentient beings to be liberated. They still wholeheartedly go about liberating all sentient beings. There is a Chinese poem that aptly captures this spirit. Establish places to teach the Dharma, knowing that they are only reflections of the moon on water. Hold Dharma activities, knowing that they are nothing more than flowers in the sky. Subdue the evil army, knowing it exists only in the mirror. Seek Buddhahood, knowing it is empty, like a dream. In summary, bodhisattvas use their great wisdom to practice their great compassion. They use their great kindness to complete their great wisdom. When both prajna wisdom and compassion are fully integrated and can be employed at will, then we have attained the ultimate bodhi. With this bodhi, we can be worldly yet transcendental. Transcendental yet worldly. Part 3. The Bodhisattva Spirit, Perseverance and Diligence In our modern society, speed is everything. In trying to achieve ever-increasing speed, we have airplanes, space shuttles, telegrams, pressure cookers, and instant noodles. As we strive to have greater speed in everything, we still have to admit that there is no shortcut to building a person's character, and a tree cannot grow to its full height in one day.
There is a saying that the nurturing of trees takes decades. The nurturing of humanity is measured in centuries. Certain things just cannot be hurried. If we want to be an expert in anything, we have to spend at least three to five years in that field. The path to being a bodhisattva is just the same. There is no shortcut to it. It takes years, lives, and even kalpas of cultivation for one to become a bodhisattva. In the Olympics, the marathon race is the event that is best testing one's perseverance and stamina. To put it simply, the bodhisattva path is of liberating sentient beings and seeking Buddhahood is analogous to that of a marathon race. The sutras tell us that for bodhisattvas to become Buddhas, they have to cultivate for three great asamkhya kalpas and practice all kinds of dharma methods. After this, they still have to go through a hundred kalpas until they have accumulated all kinds of bodhi seeds and attained the majestic look of 32 marks of excellence and 80 notable physical characteristics. In other words, The journey through the path of truth must be taken a step at a time. Bodhisattvas must be steadfast in their patience and endurance, working on their progress without lapsing. Only with the test of time can enlightenment be attained. Thus, the Bodhisattva spirit is characterized by perseverance, patience, endurance, and diligence. How does the Bodhisattva spirit of perseverance and diligence come about? It comes from the development of their Buddhasita. The Bodhisattva Stages Sutra says, When all those who belong to the family of Bodhisattvas generate the Bodhi mind and practice with right effort and diligence, they can promptly attain enlightenment. Bodhi mind is the seed of Buddhahood. It is the rich soil in which we can cultivate the pure Dharma Bodhi mind can wash away all afflictions and can eradicate the delusion of sentient beings. Bodhi mind is like a soft, comfortable bed in which bodhisattvas can cradle the weary bodies of sentient beings. With the Bodhi mind, bodhisattvas are not intimidated by the long and arduous journey to Buddhahood. They can distance themselves from the three realms and dwell in the Dharma Sea of Truth. Bodhi mind is the dedication of bodhisattvas in not giving up on sentient beings as they frequent the sea of suffering to become willing vessels to be used by sentient beings as fairies. This spirit of perseverance and diligence is the manifestation of bodhi mind. All in all, the development of bodhi mind also marks the beginning of all great vows. Bodhi mind is the foundation of all bodhi paths and the guiding light of compassion. Without Bodhi mind, Bodhisattvas will not be able to look beyond our transgressions and work for our betterment. The Flower Adornment Sutra says, Forgetting the Bodhi mind but cultivating wholesomeness is called the action of Mara. Thus, if we want to cultivate the Mahayana Bodhi path, we must first generate our Bodhi mind. The young Sudhyana found this out in a roundabout way. After he traveled about learning from 53 virtuous teachers, he met Maitreya Bodhisattva, who told him that he must first generate his Bodhi mind. Maitreya Bodhisattva also told him that once he generated his Bodhi mind, all Buddhas would guide him and show him the way of Mahayana compassion, a path that even Sravakas and Prayatka Buddhas had yet to reach. From this advice that Maitreya Bodhisattva gave to Sudhyana, we can see that the importance of generating the Bodhi mind. We can see the importance of generating the Bodhi mind. Given that Bodhi mind is so important, what exactly is our Bodhi mind? Simply put, our Bodhi mind is our commitment to seek the Buddha way and liberate all beings. This is such an important subject that the Graduate School of Chinese Buddhism at Foguangshan always includes the study of an inspiration to give rise to the Bodhi mind. In its introductory session for new students. This piece was written by Master Shengen of the Qing Dynasty. The ninth patriarch of the Lotus School of of Buddhism. Many people today shun work for comfort. And moral values are on the wane. 
The theme of reminding us to be mindful of the ten causes and conditions can help us discover our Bodhi-mind. To be mindful of the ten causes and conditions is to be grateful to the Buddhas, to be grateful to our parents, to be grateful to our teachers, to be grateful for our benefactors, and to be grateful for all sentient beings, to be mindful of the suffering of life and death, to be respectful of our own spiritual being, to be repentant of karmic hindrances, to aspire towards rebirth in the pure land, and to be mindful of the importance of preserving the Dharma for a long time. I'm going to read that again. To be mindful of the ten causes and conditions is to be grateful of the Buddhas, to be grateful of our parents, to be grateful for our teachers, to be grateful for our benefactors, to be grateful for all sentient beings, to be mindful of the suffering of life and death, to be respectful of our own spiritual being, to be repentant of karmic hindrances, to aspire towards rebirth in the pure land, and to be mindful of the importance of preserving the Dharma for a long time. In the sutras and treatises about the Bodhi mind, we are told that for us to be bodhisattvas, we have to discover our Bodhi mind by contemplating all Buddhas, observing the sufferings of the physical body, being kind and compassionate toward all sentient beings, and seeking the noble fruit of enlightenment. We have to discover our Bodhi mind by contemplating all Buddhas, observing the sufferings of the physical body, being kind and compassionate toward all sentient beings, and seeking the noble fruit of enlightenment. To contemplate all Buddhas is to emulate all Buddhas, to be a great person, to have great courage, to be willing to sacrifice our wealth and even our lives to seek enlightenment. And to seek enlightenment. To observe the suffering of the physical body is to understand that the four great elements and the five aggregates are elusive like dreams, illusions, bubbles, and shadows. To be kind and compassionate toward sentient beings is to be kind and compassionate toward the ignorance of sentient beings, who act in delusion without even realizing it, and thus to become determined to liberate all sentient beings. If we can do this, we have generated the Bodhi mind. The greatness of bodhisattvas, their perseverance, and their diligence are not what most of us can live up to. Bodhisattvas, however, are not almighty and are not divine. Buddhas are not gods, and the same is true of bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas are individual beings like you and me. The difference is that they have generated the Bodhi mind and can persevere with diligence. The sutras speak of an incident during which the Buddha was teaching to a group of people, and most of those listening accepted and received the Dharma with great joy. There was one individual who was most distracted and could not pay attention to the pure and wondrous Dharma. The Buddha used his supernatural power and spoke most eloquently, most patiently, and most compassionately. Even then, this person stubbornly refused to accept the Dharma. The sutras, therefore, tell us that there are three things that the Buddha cannot do. Nullify karmic forces, liberate those without affinity and necessary conditions, and liberate all sentient beings without remainder. Although Buddhas and Bodhisattvas understand that they cannot liberate the countless number of sentient beings, and cannot liberate those without affinity, the enormity of their goal is matched by their Bodhi mind that is just as immense and boundless. Thus, they still strive incessantly to achieve the impossible and continue to toil tirelessly to finish an endless task. Their bodhisattva is like a running stream from the thawed snowpack of the Himalayas, always flowing. When the conditions are ripe, they will melt away our long-frozen spirit. In the Lotus Sutra, there is a bodhisattva called Never Disparaging Bodhisattva who practice patience and tolerance. 
With joined palms and utmost respect, he would greet everyone he met, saying, I dare not be disrespectful of you, for you are a future Buddha. Now, some of these people practiced other religions and were not too happy to be so greeted. Not only did they not return the civility, they even cursed at him, threw stones at him, or waved a club at him. As never disparaging Buddhasafa did not want to aggravate the situation, he would back away respectfully, while still muttering to himself, I dare not disrespectful of you, for you are a feet of Buddha. From this, we can see that in the eyes of Buddhasattvas, we are all future Buddhas who are presently blinded by our own delusion, like a precious gem which has temporarily lost its luster after falling into the mud. Countless kalpas after countless kalpas, Buddhasattvas pledge their Buddhasitta and practice their great compassion. With unparalleled patience and never-ending respect, they wake us up to help us discover our own pure nature. Amitabha Buddha is a perfect example of this kind of spirit. In one of his previous lives, he was Dharmakara Buddhasattva. Cultivating to become a Buddha It was during this lifetime that he made the 48 great vows, the strength of which manifests the majestic pure land. Dharmakara Buddhasattva vowed that if there were just one being within his pure land that had not discovered his or her Bodhi mind, he would himself would not attain Buddhahood. Thus, the pure land of ultimate bliss is reserved for Buddhasattvas who practice continuously without regress and aim to achieve Buddhahood in one lifetime. There is no shortcut to Buddhasattva spirit. It starts with the initiation of one's Bodhi mind and manifests in continual perseverance and never-ending diligence. The initiation of the Bodhi mind marks one's transformation from the ordinary to the transcendental and is the first step on the path of Buddhahood. Part 4. The Buddhasattva Practice Methodical and eternal. Buddhism has been both described as a philosophy and a religion. Why? The Buddhist teachings are profound and have given us much insight into the various phenomena of life and the universe. It also differs from other religions in the sense that it allows for room it allows room for one to have questions regarding the teachings. In these respects, Buddhism is very much like a philosophy. Although Buddhism is very logical, it does not stop with theoretical pursuits alone. It places a heavy emphasis on practice. Thus, it is also described as a religion. The Buddha himself is a perfect example of one who values the importance of practice. After he attained enlightenment, he gave up this important teaching. He gave us this important teaching. <clears throat> Abstain from all evil, practice only the good, and purify the mind. This is the teaching of all Buddhas. With this, he left explicit directions for sentient beings to purify their minds through the practice of virtues and morals. When non-Buddhists posed to him purely philosophical questions, the Buddha would remain silent, not answer them. The so-called 14 questions fit into this category. These purely philosophical questions are word games and do not pertain to liberation from suffering or to our everyday lives. From these episodes, we can see that the Buddha places a lot of emphasis on, and significance on practice. Buddhism is a religion that highlights cultivation. It is also a philosophy that deals with life. Specifically, the Mahayana Bodhisattva path is founded on putting, down, on putting the fundamental spirit of the Buddha into practice. How then do we practice the Mahayana Buddhasattva path? We should go about it methodically, like a student going through the educational system. The school of Buddhasattvas is not unlike the educational system that starts from kindergarten to elementary school to high school, college, and on to graduate school. The Mahayana Buddhasattva path can also be understood in terms of stages. The stage of sentient beings whose lives are characterized by suffering the stage of arhats who are free from the wheel of rebirth, 
the stage of enlightened bodhisattvas, who have severed all afflictions and all ill habits, and the stage of Buddhahood, or ultimate enlightenment. Even the stage of bodhisattvas can be further subdivided into very many stages depending on the level of practice. The Mahayana Bodhisattva practice is characterized by the 37 aspects of awakening, or practices, that guide us to Buddhahood. They are the four bases of mindfulness, the four right efforts, the four bases of spiritual power, the five faculties, the five strengths, the seven factors of awakening, and the noble eightfold path. These practices can cure all bad habits and strengthen our practice. They can sever delusions and help us live according to the Dharma body, the body of teachings. They are also nourishment for the journey on the, on the Bodhisattva path. These 37 aspects of awakening originated at the beginning of Buddhism, always serving as critical elements of one's practice. In fact, even those Bodhisattvas who have attained the Ten Grounds continue to practice these conditions. In addition to these 37 practices, Bodhisattvas also practice the four means of embracing, giving, kind words, altruism, and empathy, to guide them to the truth. Giving may be further classified into giving of money, material goods, the giving of the Dharma, and the giving of fearlessness. Giving should be practiced with a threefold emptiness of giving. This means that when, I, when giving, one should not have any idea of an I as the giver, nor of an individual who receives the gift, nor of things being given. When we give without the notion of I as the giver, we are letting go of the notion of self. When we give without the notion of a receiver, we are letting go of the notion of dualities. And when we give without the notion of how much we are giving or the thought of recompense, we are letting go of all the notion of phenomena. This is true giving. Kind words means to speak with kindness and compassion, to let our warmth and concern for others come through. The Lotus Sutra praises Nagakanya the daughter of the sea dragon king, with these words. With kindness she thinks of all sentient beings as her own children. Kind words can be compared to the nice warm words of a loving mother. It can dissolve conflicts and turn tyranny into loving kindness. The meaning of kind words is captured with the saying, Wondrous fragrance flows, flows from the mouth of one who speaks without hatred. Wondrous Fragrance flows from the mouth of one who speaks without hatred. Altruism is a very important virtue and means that we engage in activities that benefit all sentient beings, that guide them to the truth. In fact, the earlier two virtues of giving and kind words are supporting activities for this one virtue. As long as our activities benefit sentient beings, it does not matter how grand or how insignificant our activities are. During the period of the Warring States in China, there was a famous general by the name of Louis Bay who gave, who gave us this very insightful advice from his deathbed. He said, Do not commit a wrong deed, however minor. Do not miss doing a good deed, however small. The Buddha once helped his blind disciple Aniruddha, Aniruddha to, mend, to mend his clothes. From this, we can see that if we do not start with small acts of virtue, there is no way for us to achieve greatness. Even the Buddha, the fully enlightened one, did not pass up this small act of kindness by mending clothes for his disciple. If we should not pass up the opportunity of doing the smallest of good deeds, we definitely should not miss the opportunity to engage in activities that can benefit all sentient beings. Finally, the virtue of empathy means that we should put ourselves in others' shoes so that we can teach according to their perspectives. The 32 manifestations of Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva is a perfect example of how to adapt the teachings to the person and circumstance. For those who are greedy, we teach them to contemplate the unwholesome aspects of the human body. 
For those who are full of anger, we teach them to contemplate compassion. When we talk with farmers, we converse about farming. With housewives, we talk about housework. This is no different from the Confucian teaching method of directing your teaching to the audience. All in all, practicing these four means of embracing sentient beings to guide them to the truth is a very important cultivation for bodhisattvas. The six paramitas and the ten paramitas are also key elements in becoming a bodhisattva. The six paramitas are the six ways of leading sentient beings to the shore of nirvana. Within these six paramitas, the three paramitas of giving, morality, and patience benefit others and are tools for the accumulation of merits and blessings. The other three paramitas of diligence, meditative concentration, and prajna wisdom benefit oneself and are nourishment for wisdom. Thus, the practice of the six paramitas brings us both blessings and wisdom. It is also a wondrous way to understand and to be in touch with the Dharma. The paramita of giving has already been discussed in the above paragraph. What is emphasized here is that when we give, we should not be concerned about recognition. When we truly give in this spirit, we can experience what Lao Tzu said many years ago. The more you give, the more you have. The more of yourself you give to others, the more of yourself there is. What this means is that the more we give, the more we have, and that we will not be short of anything. Morality can help us control our inclination to do wrong and lessen the karmic effects of our past wrongdoings. Regardless of which precept we are observing, the importance lies in the intention. If our exterior behavior is only a facade and a cover for our ill intentions inside, then we are not living in accordance to the precepts. On the other hand, if our intentions are good, then we are observing the precepts even if we have to bend the rules a little to suit the situation. When the sixth patriarch of the Chan school of Buddhism was in hiding in the woods, he lived among hunters and ate with them. Under this situation, he could only eat vegetables that had already been cooked with meat, but he was no less cultivated. When we observe the precepts, we have to observe them consistently in our minds and behaviors, continually at all times, and persistently under all circumstances. In observing the precepts, one may initially feel restricted and practice with trepidation. With the passing of time, the practice becomes indistinctive, and one feels at ease with it. This is the morality in its highest form. Next, the paramita of patience is a cure for hatred and a tool for resting the body and mind. When we are patient, we can solve and resolve conflicts. Many such examples can be found in the Agama Sutra. <clears throat> there was a very famous general in Chinese history by the name of Hang Zin, who was known to be able to endure insults. Before becoming famous, Hang Zin was humiliated and made fun of by a bully who demanded that he crawl between his legs. He swallowed his pride and did what the bully demanded of him. His patience was not a sign of weakness, but a key factor in his becoming a famous general later on. In fact, one cannot emphasize enough the strength that may be derived from patience. In addition to the three paramitas of giving, morality, and patience, bodhisattvas also work diligently. When they are steadfast in their practice and refuse to give up, they experience meditative concentration from which they will attain prajna wisdom. At this point, the reach of buddhi is within sight. The ten paramitas in are the six paramitas mentioned above, plus adaptability, vows, and strength, and knowledge. Adaptability, vows, strength, and knowledge. Adaptability is a skill that bodhisattvas employ to teach sentient beings so that the teaching is suited to the occasion and to the listener. Vows refer to the vows that bodhisattvas pledge when they first embarked on the path of Buddhahood. Examples include the ten great vows of Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, the 12 Great Vows of Medicine Buddha, 
the 12 great vows of Avokitsvara Bodhisattva, the 18 great vows of Manjushri Bodhisattva, and the 48 great vows of Dhammakara Bodhisattva. <clears throat> Another example is the four universal vows of a Buddha or Bodhisattva. Sentient beings are limitless. I vow to liberate them. Afflictions are endless. I vow to learn them. Teachings are infinite. I vow to learn them. Buddhahood is supreme. I vow to attain it. The pledging of vows is what gives Bodhisattvas the strength and knowledge to fulfill the Mahayana Bodhisattva way. Over the course of three great Asamkhyaya Kalpas, Bodhisattvas practice the, 30, the 37 aspects of awakening, the four means of embracing, the six paramitas, the ten paramitas. With practice, Bodhisattvas gradually transcend the ordinary and join the ranks of the enlightened. The Bodhisattva path is a long road that cannot be finished instantaneously. To traverse this road, one must do it methodically, persistently, and consistently. Only then can one move from one stage to the next and experience the taste of eternal joy at each stage. <clears throat> 